Hi everyone, welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. This is our first episode yep. of Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh, be excited, be excited, because I am. This is going to be great. Dude, I love this game. Yeah, I've never beaten it. Once again, we we keep playing these <laughs> games that I've played like a little bit of, never beaten. So this is another one of those. Heck yes. Um, so... As always, for those of you who are new, who have not seen our podcast before, we structure this a little bit like a book club. That's kind of like the mm. format. So it's like you play along with us and uh, we discuss that section together. We don't discuss spoilers for things that haven't happened yet. Yeah. We sort of take them as they're revealed along the way. So there are certain things in the story that you know might be worth discussion that we'll hold off on for later episodes just to yeah. not spoil it for people who haven't played the game before this is their first time so um that's the way we handle it usually on the first episode we like to delve into the development history so learn more about those who created the game what their goals were um you know their aspirations their ambitions things like that try to understand where they were coming from when they were creating the game so that's where we're going to start great um I'm excited to jump into this one because this is going to be the first time yet on our podcast that we've talked about Yasumi Matsuno. Oh yeah, who I love. Yes. I've played a lot of his games <laughs> and they're very good. Yasumi Matsuno is, in my opinion, the best story director that Square has ever had. Mm. Um, the gameplay in his games tends to be very complex. Like it's, um, Vagrant Story is a great idea, or great um Example. Yeah. I love Vagrant Stories, story and music and visual the design. Visuals. Yeah, very good. Pacing, the dialogue yeah. is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like I get so excited watching those cutscenes. The gameplay itself, while very technically sound, while very strategic, while very deep, mm. lots and lots of cool elements to it. It is it's like it's like going to work <laughs> to play Vagrant Story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure, I can. It's, it's hard work to do. It, it, it's like it there's is, it 15 is. things you have to like check and yeah. worry about in every single fight. Mm. And you have to be doing like really, really like, you know, in-depth sort of like we weapon crafting in order to do any damage to people when you fight them or monsters or whatever. Mm. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics is not quite at that level, mm. but it's in the ballpark. Right. So and mostly in the pre, the preparation yes. level of things. Yeah, yes. It's like pretty pretty tedious there. A little yes. Bit. So I would not say that Yasumi Matsuno's games are my favorite to play from mm. the gameplay side of things. They're not bad. I'm not saying I dislike them. They're just a lot of work. Yeah. You have to be like you have to be ready to really. <laughs> dig into the meat of it to yeah. like get the most out of it. It's like you gotta know what you're getting into. Yes, but his story direction is absolutely like second to none yeah. at Square of anybody that I've known there. So I really like him a lot for that reason. Um, so he was the director on this game. He was formerly uh, from a company called Quest where he directed two tactical RPGs there as well. Um, Ogre Battle, March of the B Black Queen, mm. and Tactics Ogre. So that whole yeah. like Ogre series is yeah, one that yeah. he sort of started there. 
Um, there have been other entries in the Ogre, like Ogre Battle 64. Oh, the 64, yeah. So um, he kind of started that series. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised they were able to keep it going after he yeah. left because he kind of pulled a lot of people from Quest <laughs> to come over to Square in and fact, kind of gutted their, their team a little bit there. Now that I think about it, I just want to check on that real quick. When did Quest, because I know that uh, Quest isn't around anymore. Hmm. But when did that happen? Yeah, I wonder how long they were able to continue after he left. They were founded in 1988. They went defunct in 2003. Wow, so not too long after, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, they held on for a little while. Key people, yes. I mean, Matsuno, who left in 1995 or something yeah, like that. <laughs> so anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, after he was finished with uh, Ogre Battle, or not with Ogre Battle, with Tactics Ogre. Ogre Tactics Ogre came second. Mm. After he was done directing that, um, he saw that there was like an ad, or like a yeah, hiring, yeah, yeah. that they were hiring at Square. And he had grown up admiring Hironobu Sakaguchi, mm -hmm. Yuji Horii, who created yeah. the, 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 the original JRPGs, Final Fantasy and ta uh, Dragon, Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest, yeah. And so he was like, why not? Like, I want to I wanna get over there and, uh, you know, work for those guys. Um, you know what's funny though, he does mention a little bit, uh, something along the lines of um, wanting to have a more open work environment, a more, um, what would you call it, collaborative work environment. Yes. I think he says specifically in one interview that I read, a democratic work environment, <laughs> um, that it didn't seem like Quest was, was giving him that. Mm -hmm. And he jumped over to Square because they had a more open environment like that at the time. At the time. <laughs> and then um, I or put in least, my notes, uh, any guesses as to why he then left Square? <laughs> well, at least that was maybe what he was hoping for, and he got a little bit of that. He also mentions, though, that part of what inspired yeah. his, like, um, real sort of emphasis on class and rank oh, in Final yeah. Fantasy Tactics was nah. the way that certain developers at Square were treated as princes oh, really? and kings. Yes, and that's that he right. Didn't that's see, right. There was a lot of opportunity to sort of move that's up. That's true. That's true. In, within that company. So that, that part yeah, of it. There is the loyalty there and then well. the factions. <laughs> the factions. It's you got to join a faction. You can't just be your own thing. Yeah. Anyways, so, um, so Yasumi Matsuno is the director. Let me get through all the key personnel okay, before okay. we move into <clears throat> the history section here. Um, Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy, was the producer on the game. Yeah. Uh, you have Taku Murata, who was the lead programmer. He did a lot of work on the Mana series. Oh, yeah. Hiroyuki Ito was the battle designer. He was uh, the creator of the ATB system uh, in Final Fantasy IV, where that you know, came about. But then also um, was a co-director on Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy XII. I believe he was credited as the director of Final Fantasy IX as well. No, really. Um, then you have Hiroshi Minigawa, who did art and scene direction. He was one of the guys that came with Matsuno from Quest. Mm. So they had worked together on the Ogre series. Um, he did art and scene direction, and he was also eventually a co-director on Final Fantasy XII as well. Oh, because cool. Yatsumi Matsuno was initially the director on Final Fantasy XII. Yeah, that's when he... Yeah, he left dropped out yeah. mid-development, mm -hmm. and then it got handed off to Hiroyuki Ito and Hiroshi Minigawa, Minigawa. to co-direct and finish Final Fantasy XII. So a lot of these guys worked on many games together before that, right? Yeah. Then you have Akihiko Yoshida, 
who was also art director, so he sort of worked with Minigawa. But he... That's is, a name <coughs> that you hear often. Yes, <laughs> because um, he has done a lot of um, character uh, concept art and mm. an art direction on a lot of Square's games. Um, in, in particular, um, Final Fantasy XII and Final Fantasy XIV and Bravely Default and Near Automata. Oh, so oh, that's right. Yeah, Nier. His art is really great. I'm actually, of all like the character artists um, at Square, he would probably be one of my favorite ones. Oh, yeah. I, I really, really like him. Um, so, uh, and, and he, I mean, Final Fantasy XIV being as big as it is right now, a lot of people, you know, really, really appreciate his art. But he also did all the art on Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre, and of course Final Fantasy Tactics. So he also came from Quest, yeah. along with uh, Matsuno. Uh, then you have uh, two composers. They usually, they did a lot of work together. Um, and, and they're not, uh, Hitoshi Sakimoto gets a lot of the credit, mm. and he's like the more recognizable name. But Masaharu Iwata, Iwata has yeah. worked very closely with him. They ended up founding a company together mm. after Vagrant Story, I think. Vagrant Story was the last game they were like employees of Square on, I think. But either way, they left Square and founded a basis scape. And uh, they've done work with Square after that, but in more of a freelancer or sure. a contracted role. Yeah, contractors. Rather than as employees of Square. And they came from Quest as well, right? They did. <laughs> <laughs> I really am surprised Quest ever made another game after. <laughs> yeah. After this, after they got gutted. Uh, Hitoshi Sakimoto <coughs> has, I think, worked on like 80 games or something. Really? He has, he has an, an, just an enormous body of work. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was like, you know, he was helping. He wasn't necessarily the lead composer, but he worked on, say, like Dragon Quest VI. Okay, yeah. Oh, sweet. Um, and uh, a, a lot of other games. Uh, aside from Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre and Vagrant Story and Final Fantasy XII, right? and tactics. He worked on Valkyria Chronicles games, mm -hmm. Odin Sphere, mm -hmm. uh, Shin Megami Tensei, like oh, the original. Nice. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's been around a long time and he has a lot of experience. And I really, really like his style. Of all like the square composers, his sounds the most like Hollywood to me. Oh, like sure, it's yeah. um, inspired by maybe like Danny Elfman or mm. um, you know some of those classic Hollywood composers. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, John Williams and, and people like that and I really hear those influences and he's been asked about that in interviews and says yeah like I, I love the, the scores for these different movies and he'll list movies that he loves them listening to the music too yeah, um, so anyways those are the main players in this uh, but what few people know is that um, they didn't like go after Yasumi Matsuno because they wanted him to come over and like make a tactics right. game out of the Final Fantasy brand. Um, he left Quest of his own volition and went to work there because he admired Hironobu Sakaguchi. Yeah. But Sakaguchi had been developing, or at least in his mind, working yeah, on yeah. a tactics version of a Final Fantasy game since mm. as early as maybe 1993. He had had the idea in his mind. And he had actually written a design document for it and mm -hmm. everything. And but, a story. He had a general story yeah, concept as well. But he hadn't um, had time to really flesh it out because of his heavy involvement in the mainline series. Yeah. Um, so he has a quote here where he says, The title Final Fantasy Tactics was actually something I thought up four years ago. We even took out a trademark on the name. 
I'm a strategy game fan myself, and I had been thinking about what Final Fantasy would look like as a strategy game. I'm the type of person who comes up with a name first, so nothing much else had been concretely set down. <laughs> but there was a Final Fantasy Tactics design document that I had made then. Unfortunately, I was caught up in the development of the main Final Fantasy series, which were coming out at a quick pace, uh, once you know, every 12 to 18 months. So my plans mm -hmm. for Final Fantasy Tactics remained unrealized. But it is true that the kernel of the development goes back four years to 1993. So when Matsuno arrived at Square with his entourage of people he brought from Quest, yeah. <laughs> he heard that uh, that was that. in the wheelhouse of ideas. Yeah. And he was like, please let me do that one. This is yes. like exactly what I was made to do. <laughs> he asked for it, and he, um, he showed great passion. And yes. Hironobu Saguchi said he really liked the passion. This reminds me so much of the, um, the Xenogears, um, Tetsuya Takahashi, Yes. Soria Saga, where they're yes. just like, I want to do something big. Please help me. Please mm. help me. Please help me. Mm. And it's almost like um, y you can tell what kinds of people are going to be, uh, who you should select to be the director of a big project based on their passion for yeah. it. If they're that passionate to get the job, then they're really going to put their all into it over the you know two years or so of the development time. Mm -hmm. And you need that passion. Otherwise, you, you burn out and you, you stop doing things unless you're passionate about it. So yeah. I can just imagine how that meeting went. Yeah. <laughs> but it was very impressive to yeah. Sakaguchi. Well, speaking on that passion, Matsuno is quoted as saying, this game has been a fulfillment of a dream for me as both a creator and a player. Mm. As a game creator, I've long wanted to make a strategy RPG using the Final Fantasy world and setting. And as a player, I've always wanted to play that game myself. As a child in elementary school, I looked up to people like Shigeru Miyamoto, Yuji Hori, and Hironobu Sakaguchi. I wanted to be like him. I'd always had that dream. Then, after finishing my previous game, Tactics Ogre, and leaving Quest, I was talking with some acquaintances and trying to figure out my next move when I saw a job advertisement for a position at Square. I decided I'd go and take their entrance test. When I came to Square and heard about this game, my immediate response was, please let me do it. In a sense, it was mm. the perfect timing to make use of all my previous experience and a huge opportunity as well. It was like perfect timing, basically, it's for this to happen. <laughs> how often that happened to Square in the 80s and 90s, where yeah. just the stars aligned and everything worked. <laughs> it's, it's, it's uncanny. It's a little strange. It's kind of crazy. Uh, freaking lightning in a bottle over and over Yeah, again. over and over and over again. Uh, Sakaguchi goes on to say, I'm sure many uh, people must see the title of this game and think Final Fantasy Tactics and that we headhunted Matsuno and reached out to him first, but it's actually not like that. He wants to really make sure he takes credit for coming up with the idea here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I also, I also think Square doesn't want to be known for yeah. poaching the smaller companies. I think oh, they all sure. kind of want a decent relationship with each other, you know? Sure. He goes on to say, you can write this down for posterity. <laughs> the idea of Final Fantasy strategy game was one I had been brewing oh, up and fermenting great. for quite that's a while great. before. Of course, of course. <laughs> Meaning he came up with the name and then <laughs> wrote something uh, down on a napkin and then document. just left it in the trash can somewhere. So anyways, speaking <laughs> of that, despite whatever he yeah. had drawn up or come up with for yeah. the concept, it seems that Matsuno and Ito, who was mostly in charge of the battle mechanics on this one, they pretty much did away with they anything deviated a lot. Sakaguchi came up with. Yeah, the way I heard, I heard it explained was that um, they really, really respected him 
Sakaguchi <laughs> as a person, but that they didn't like most of his ideas, ideas for, for, for the game. actual game, which was fine because they were probably yeah. weren't very fleshed out ideas, and it doesn't seem like Sakaguchi minded all no, that much. No, no. He, he was just like, oh, please, please, delete <laughs> what I did, but it was my idea to begin with. He just <laughs> wants to make sure... <laughs> Make sure he gets that point in there. He, he goes on to say, actually, the truth is, I showed Matsuno my five or six page design document. Although, looking at it now, it seems they adopted very different systems from the one <laughs> I described, and a lot of my ideas were dropped. It was fully up to Matsuno and Ito to decide which ideas to use, you see. My role was more of watching from the sidelines as a strategy game fan. I've always been looking forward to playing it. So he was the producer, and yeah. he has taken producer roles where he was very like hands-on involved in the yeah, game say yeah. on Final Fantasy 7. Um, well this was co-developed alongside Final Fantasy yes. 7 so I would say if he was too hands-on with 7 yeah. he he wasn't able to be as hands-on with the other things. You right. Know? Final this Fantasy 9 is another example he basically created oh, the story basically. of Final Fantasy 9 and yeah. was super heavily involved in it, even though he's a producer. On this one, he was more in that loosely affiliated producer role. Yeah, yeah. A little bit like he was, say, on like Chrono Trigger as well. Oh, sure. Like Chrono Trigger, in the initial stages of that, he was way, way, way like involved in uh, creating the, the game pre, and the creative process. Stuff, but then yeah. at a certain point, it got passed on to other people. Yeah. And he was actually being told, you know, I need you to do this and this by uh, Yoshinori Kitasa, who ended up directing. Final Fantasy or, or uh, Chrono Trigger with a couple of other people. Uh, there's a there's a good quote. I don't have it here. Where he's like, he became my boss, creative boss in a sense, telling oh, me yeah. like do this, this, and this. So there's been a couple of times That's where cool. his producer role has been more of this, yeah. standing on the sideline, like, being a cheerleader. Oh, can't wait to play it. Uh, you know, giving you the yeah. money and things yeah. like that, but kind of letting them have creative control. And other times, it's he's been more hands-on creatively. Anyways. Yeah. It seems like either way, at the time, he knew when he needed to intervene and when not to yes. intervene. I, I, I don't feel like whenever I hear about, oh, he was more involved in this game or less involved in this game, um, and especially understanding more in depth about what specifically he was doing, um, it seems like he really knew when to, when to hold back, yeah. you know? Who to trust. Yeah, who to trust and who, to, um, who needed a little bit more guidance in particular. Yeah. So, uh, with Matsuno and Ito kind of at the head of the team, right, they ended up split, splitting the responsibilities between them. And Ito yeah. would be in charge of everything to do with combat mechanics, whereas Matsuno would take care of the story and every other system in the game. So, right. this means like character progression with the zodiac signs, yes, the job yes. system, the jobs. all of that was kind of on Matsuno's side. And he would have to work in tandem with Ito on how to work those systems in with the combat mechanics. This created a little bit, I, w I won't call it tension, but just of uh, disagreement between them. Yeah. Um, uh, Matsuno mentions that Ito really wanted uh, Matsuno to simplify the job system, probably oh. because of all the things he was gonna have to account for in combat yeah. because of it. <laughs> and Matsuno like really, really fought. Statements. <laughs> <laughs> Matsuno your code up. really had to fight to keep uh, some of the things he was adamant okay. should remain. What are there, 20, the, 21 jobs or something like that? Um, actually, I think there's, yeah, 20 in the original, 22 in War of the Lions. Yeah. Um, this is a quick aside just to make a point on 
what I was saying earlier about Matsuno's games being very complex yeah. and a little bit um, of a chore Game to sort play of play wise. them, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I'm sure Ito was trying to get him to simplify it, <laughs> and we'll get into some see, see, yeah. Ito quotes here who where he actually didn't love tactical RPGs. Ito didn't before oh, right. working on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of how tedious they are to play. Yes. And so he wanted to make something that would simplify it for people and make it a little more fast paced yeah. and a little more um, you know, I guess action oriented. What so he could offer the the new the newness, the new perspective to the genre. Yeah. But yeah. Matsuno <laughs> insisted on having like the Zodiac uh, yeah. system, for instance, which um, I made a video earlier in the week that people can go watch. It's tips on how to get started with Final Fantasy Tactics that kind of explains how it works. But it's yeah. like, you know, every unit has a different Zodiac sign and certain Zodiac signs have compatibility with each other, whether it's good or bad. So it's yeah. like, if I have a Zodiac sign that has good compatibility with this one, then my healing spells and buffs will have a higher chance of success or will heal for more or that sort of thing. If I have bad compatibility, I'll do less damage against that yeah, enemy yeah. or I will heal for less on my ally or my buffs might fail more often or something like that. Mm -hmm. So he, he likes to layer lots of little mechanics like this yeah. <laughs> into the game. And, it seems and then Ito, there's the one Zodiac that's it's great, it, yes. depending on the, if your sex the gender. Is opposite. Yeah, yeah. So if it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so funny. really really bad compatibility if it's same sex. Really yes. good compatibility if it's opposite sex. But that also applies to your your enemies as well. So yeah. it's it's it, it's, uh, it, it, it's it's interesting. It, it, it can create some headaches. <laughs> but that's Matsuno. That's what yes. he likes to do. Yep, and what's headaches. funny, and I'm sure there's a quote here we'll get to. Okay. He wanted to make an approachable tactical RPG. Oh. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> when I was younger, when this game first came out, I was a bit intimidated by it. Yes, you know? like especially being like, what was I? I was, I was, I was younger, and these types of games because we had, I think, I swear we had over, over Ogre Battle sixty four or something like that. Oh. Um, but we had played these types of tactical games, and and they take a lot of foresight, and they're they're intimidating at least the first time you play it. Yeah. I will say, once you've been playing the games for a while, they get a lot easier. Even the same game, yeah. once you get how everything works, it gets a lot easier. But it's intimidating to, to just start. I, I, the hardest part of Final Fantasy Tactics is actually the beginning chapters of the game. Oh, yeah. Um, because it's the type of mm -hmm. game where once you unlock the good abilities and the good jobs, it's like you breeze through the ending of it. It's just oh, like yeah. they're so overpowered and so good mm. that it's just like... You know, uh, there's like a first strike ability uh, in the monk class where if you get attacked, there's like a chance that you can strike first. So it's like you're getting attacked, but you're killing them before they can hit you. And you're like hitting enemies from across the map. <laughs> and it's just like, just amazing, amazing nice. abilities. Very but it nice. takes a while to earn them. Yeah. Because you got to earn the JP. Mm -hmm. So in the early chapters, it can be really tough for people. And so that's yeah. why I decided to make that video. Every, everyone's, tips. A, everyone's a squire. Yeah, because like they're a chemist. Though that it's basically like the first chapter and a couple of battles early in the second chapter that yeah. are just like you just haven't had time yet unless you decided to grind, which I don't advise because right. they tried to uh, discourage you from doing that by making the enemies scale, scale. with Ramza. Which I don't think I've appreciated any game that's ever done. I that. hate I hate it. I yeah. hate it when they do that. <laughs> 
But the, 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 the idea is to try to discourage you from level grinding. Yes, fair enough. I get it, but people still find ways around it. So anyways, point is, it's not as approachable as he seemed to hope that it was going to be. Um, Ito uh, had this quote, talking about his feelings about tactical RPGs. I actually have never liked strategy in simulation games. I find all the work you have to do with units, equipping them, switching weapons, etc., to be so tedious and annoying that midway through I always pull the con or put the controller down and walk away. My goal for Final Fantasy Tactics was to make a game that I wouldn't feel like walking away from. I also wanted a game where the strategy would feel exciting and urgent. I really wanted to try adding a sense of swashbuckling heroism, like the feeling of a soldier who bursts into an enemy camp and battles his way out. I think if you're just looking mm. only at the battle mechanics that this is true, it's when you add in Matsuno's character oh, progression the that stuff. the game gets bogged down sure. by all the stuff, all the yeah, extra yeah. stuff that he doesn't like. Yeah. <laughs> so I can see why they disagreed with each other while working yeah. on this. Um, but I think the battle mechanics themselves, in a couple of key ways, um, are a, a little bit more simple than, than other in Japan anyways, mainstream tactical RPGs at the time. Um, they talk about, there was an interview where they were asking, hey, are there going to be um, field, or, or uh, what do they call it, like effects on the map? Say in Fire Emblem, if you're standing on a, uh, a tile that has a uh, castle, yes. you yeah. have like added defense. Or if you're in a forest tile, then you have added evasion. Or, mm. you know, th they have things like that in the geography of yeah. the map where if you're standing on certain tiles, you get certain bonuses or um, that either give you advantage or disadvantage. And does Final Fantasy Tactics have that? And he was like, nope, um, not every game has to have that. <laughs> 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 so he was trying to simplify the mm. tactical RPG formula a little bit. Although there are some, uh, you know, like field effects, like with archers, say like there's verticality. So like the higher oh, yeah. up you are, your it range extends your range goes out. up. Yeah. So there are some things like that. But anyways, that was Ito's whole approach to this. Um, they were talking about how the maps in the game are small. Like they're yeah. they're, they're pretty small for the most part. They're very diorama like. Um, Ito has another quote saying, it's meant to be enjoyed like a diorama or a miniature garden, which okay, is... Okay, sure, sure. ...which had been Sakaguchi's approach for Final Fantasy from the very beginning. And, okay, yeah. He recently made uh, Fantasian, which was literally, yes, they made a bunch of miniatures and, and yeah, miniatures. Yeah. So that's kind of been like the, the look or feel mm. that Final Fantasy was going for from the beginning. This game's no different. Um, so they were talking about how they liked being able to move the to rotate the camera around the diorama that they made, right? The diorama, the 3D diorama. Yeah. Um, he says it's a big part of the cuteness factor. <laughs> Before you know it, you'll be looking at the map and saying things like, oh, I bet it, it would look cool if I put this guy up here. And so that's the way they designed them. But the reason that they were so small is because they were trying um, to keep the frame rate at a steady 60 FPS. That was yeah. really important to them. They did not want to have frame drops. And what's so funny about mm. that is that the War of the Lions version on PSP has yeah. insane frame really? drops <laughs> on the magic abilities, like the, the, oh, the yeah, effects yeah. of magic. There are ways around mm. that if you're going to play that version of the game. Um, you can patch the, the ISO so that uh, it can fix oh, those problems. Okay. But the iOS and Android version, the mobile version of mm. the game, 
um, is actually really fast in terms oh, cool. of the battle effects and the characters moving around. It's like really, really quick. I really was surprised how much I have liked the mobile version of War of the Lions so far. Yeah. It's probably the best version of the game. Oh, really? If only it had controller support. I, I don't know. know why it doesn't. It's all touchscreen, yeah. and it's fine for a tactical RPG generally, mm -hmm. more so than an action game, obviously. But still, it gets fatiguing for me to click, 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 click. It's just so much more ergonomic, in my opinion, to be just yeah, pushing yeah. buttons. If it had, if it had controller support, I would recommend that version above all the others. Hmm. But it doesn't. But there are rumors that it is being maybe brought to console or. Uh, PC soon as a port, so we'll see if that happens. But it does give you more camera control too. You can like click and drag. Or, oh, or so instead of just drag. the eight, it's like a, a you can, smoother. You can, yeah, you can really move it around, and so that's pretty cool oh, that's too. Cool. Hopefully, cool. if they do end up porting that, that'll be mapped to the right stick, and yeah, you can yeah. just move the camera around, right? In any case, um, it was funny to me that they were so adamant about 60 frames per second on the PS1 version, and then the PSP version just like, nope, that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> Still like War of the Lions better overall, though. Um, okay, so moving on to the music. Um, the musical style of Final Fantasy Tactics is quite different from what you usually got with yeah. Final Fantasy mainline uh, titles. Nobuo Uematsu was the composer for the mainline series. Yeah, uh, this was <clears throat> the first one that he didn't do, right? The first yeah. Final Fantasy game that he did not do the music. I think game? so. I'm trying to think of like Although, what other spin-off Final Fantasy titles yeah, there were. I mean, true. there's didn't. technically like uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, yeah, but those weren't yeah. really Final Fantasy games. They were just branded that way in the West. They were mm -hmm. actually like mana games or saga games hmm. <laughs> that were just called Final Fantasy when they got localized. Weird. So, anyways, I'm not sure off the top of my head which other uh, spin-off titles had come out before this. But this was mm. the first like really majorly successful one, I would say. Um, and yeah, so Sakimoto not only d uh, did the music on this, but he was the first composer to take Uematsu's place in the main series when Final Fantasy XII came around. Because oh, Uematsu did all the music oh, maybe up that's through what I had read. Maybe that's 11. what I had read. Yeah. Okay, okay. One through 11, Uematsu guy. did the music, was the yeah. lead composer on all Final Fantasy mainline titles. And then on 12, it was Sakimoto who took his place. We've got a quote here from Matsuno talking about how he wanted the music to be written. He says, Actually, in the beginning, the idea for the music was more in line with Sakaguchi's tastes exciting, energetic, and upbeat music. So probably more yeah. in line with what you would expect from a Final Fantasy game. He says, but owing to the direction we decided to take the game, or my personality, we changed it. If Final Fantasy Tactics had mainly involved humans versus monster battles, oh, yeah. which is typically what you see in mainline FF games, yeah. then I think exciting, upbeat music would have been very appropriate, but in this strategy game, your opponents are other human beings, and that kind of bright, upbeat music wasn't working. Yeah. There's also the fact that Final Fantasy Tactics takes place in a hard, serious world, so I think it's only natural for the songs to be similar. Well, I'm glad they made that decision. Yeah. Like, on all fronts. I'm glad they made it people versus other people. I'm glad they made it... Um, well, what would you be? Just a little darker, a little more mm -hmm. hard, a little more realistic, mm -hmm. and that the music accompanies that. I think that all makes sense. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, 
he, he, Matsuno goes on to talk about like the story's tone. He says, one time I took a look at the whiteboard, or sorry, this is Sakaguchi, not Matsuno saying this. So Sakaguchi says, one time I took a look at the whiteboard that Matsuno would sometimes have by his desk, and I saw this huge chart that detailed all the character relationships. Mm -hmm. He's quite obsessive when it comes to his work. I remember seeing one of the connections between the characters, and it said they have a hard time understanding each other. I thought to myself, man, this is going to be a deep game. Yeah, someone, and he, this, so this is kind of hard to read, but he's, he's quoting what is on the whiteboard. Yeah, someone like you wouldn't understand, in quotes, right, as a piece mm. of dialogue. We'd never had a character in a Final Fantasy game utter lines like that. Mm. So this idea that, the, that we have positions of rank or like hierarchy, nobles yeah, and yeah. peasants, um, really mm, yeah. um, hating each other and not able to understand each other right. is like a big central theme of Final Fantasy Tactics. And, and maybe not even because of anything that happens in particular. It's more or less just their um, their background, yeah. just who they are, how they grew up. A fate thing. And it's just like the way you don't get it because you didn't grow up the way I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, like these types of things were were the kind of like more hard or serious or maybe even um, relatable topics that Final Fantasy was going into mm -hmm. that like people you know, deal with in real life and that are real problems for a lot of societies, right? Yeah. There's so, a lot of political stuff here too, yeah, which I think is, is fascinating. Um, they also, all of that said, it's interesting that they wanted to go for more of a hand-drawn style. Yes. Whereas yes. Final Fantasy mainline series yeah. was moving towards that like hyper-realistic uh, aesthetic not so much with Final Fantasy VII, a little bit there, well, but more into Final Fantasy VIII. They were like really yeah. going for more realism with the series, right? Yes, yes. And so for a game that has so much realism in its tone and in its storytelling, they wanted to kind of do a, the All their characters look like kids. <laughs> yeah. It says, Final Fantasy VII really capitalized on CG and polygon visuals, and in a sense, it's a very cinematic title. In contrast, we wanted to emphasize a more hand-drawn look. We also wanted players to find the battles intrinsically fun rather than only play for the story. In those regards, rather than an extension of the Final Fantasy series, I hope players see Final Fantasy Tactics as a whole different take on it. We tried to fill it with ideas that could only be done in a strategy role-playing game. That was Matsuno's quote. Hmm. Um, so yeah, he wanted to make an RPG that was accessible. He ended up saying... I think in a Famitsu interview that he feels like he failed to do that, um, and I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at the sales. Just look at the sales numbers. So in 1997, earlier in the year, Final Fantasy VII had come out. Just sold millions and millions and millions. This was the next Final Fantasy game after Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. It was this one. And it was under a million in initially. Um, I know it's surpassed that in the years since, but um, it didn't sell even like a tenth as well as yeah. Final Fantasy VII did. Yeah. And that would be considered a commercial fail failure, even though it did well on its own, but it didn't sell nearly as much as the, the two games that sandwiched it. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder what their sales projections were for a tactical game spinoff. Well, I'll tell you what. Particularly just since <clears throat> I don't think in the West... There mm -hmm. had been almost any of the big Japanese tactical RPGs that had mm. been localized. Like, like Fire, Fire Emblem, Emblem had never come to the West before. 
A Fire Emblem didn't come yeah, until the Game Boy Advance titles in like yeah, 2001 yeah. or two or something like that. Yeah, that's true. So I think that for what it is, mm. it was successful, but I mean, certainly carrying the Final Fantasy brand name. I actually am curious about this. Mm. I wonder how many people bought Final Fantasy Tactics after having played seven or something mm. and were expecting maybe something kind of similar to that and then we're like, what is this? Probably a lot, yeah. And then either, oh, this is still cool or like, man, this is not what I expected. I mean, yeah. back then, um, you know, it wasn't as, we didn't have the internet like today where you're online watching trailers, you know exactly the type of game, you know pr pretty mm -hmm. much exactly what you're getting when you go buy it. Yeah. Back then it was like... It was different. You yeah. read it in magazines and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, but yeah. a lot of times you, you might not have had subscriptions to a video game magazine and you're just yeah. at the store and you just see the box art and you buy it based on the box art and oh this looks cool yeah <laughs> right let's try it's this got the name i i would say um it if it was not i would think it would have sold better if it was not called final fantasy tactics <laughs> i don't think that's a very good name um Although comparing that to Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII, <laughs> it, it falls right in line, yeah. right? But it's not like those games in, in some very important ways. And I feel like calling it Final... It, it feels like Final Fantasy Tactics was a working, like, placeholder name, mm. right? Like Project Octopath Traveler, which <laughs> ended up being called... Octopath Traveler. You um, know what? I think they're going to go with the name uh, Triangle Strategy. Are they? I'm, I'm, That's not I, a good name. Oh my Octopath God. isn't so a bad. great name either. Maybe a little bit better than Triangle Strategy. It's better than Triangle Strategy. That's triangle Strategy is pretty bad. Um, <laughs> anyways, just just name-wise, name, name wise, I think they would have done a lot better to call this something else. But maybe they wanted that brand. Maybe they felt like it would have, it would have been sold better under the Final Fantasy moniker. Like but. Final Fantasy... Uh, the Lion War, or Final yeah. Fantasy Zodiac Brave Sick. Story, or Fair enough. something <laughs> yes. like that. Zodiac Brave Story. They ended up going with the the the, the subtitle on the, the PSP, PSP version, version is War of the Lions. War of the so Lions. Final Fantasy Tactics War of the or Final Fantasy War of the Lions might have been, been kind been of cool or something like that. Yeah, or um, calling it Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions. That's fine too. But just Final Fantasy Tactics. It's a very descriptive. It's very rigid and uh, corporate. <laughs> just seems like sure. some just general words instead of like um but they they trademarked meaning. it in 1993 i they know which is so strange it's like <laughs> we got to keep it um, but i don't know if that was the best choice yeah anyways uh, i i am curious to see how many people bought the game expecting something more like a traditional turn-based final fantasy 7 like mm -hmm. game um i know that my introduction to Fire Emblem was Marth and Roy being in Smash, Smash Brothers. Yes. And I was like, oh, dope. They're bringing a Fire let's Emblem play, game let's out play those games. on GameCube. Yeah. I heard about it. So I didn't you thought, do You thought research. you were going to be Marth just slashing through everybody? I thought it was going to be like a Legend of Zelda-style adventure game yes. or something. That, that is what it seemed like it would have been based on that. Yeah. And this is completely my fault. Yes. It's not like by that time we didn't have the internet right. and the ability to research what a game yeah, is. Yeah, like 2003. Yeah, 2001, 2001 or two maybe. or something. Yeah. I think Melee came out in 2001. Okay. Um, Anyways, I went out and bought it. 50 mm -hmm. bucks. Threw it down. Give me that Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. And it's got a sick name. It, That's part of, of what I'm saying. Final Fantasy Tactics or Fire <laughs> Emblem Path of Radiance. And right? I stick that game in my so GameCube good. and I'm like, 
what the fetch? I know. <laughs> which what is the some, fetch is this? Which is probably what you thought the first time you played an RPG as well. Yes, Final Fantasy VII. Like, That's what exactly is what I thought. It's just different levels of... My brother yeah. asked for the game for Christmas. I have no idea how he even heard of it. <laughs> I literally don't know. It was just the big... Everyone was talking about it, you know? I had not heard of Final Fantasy before. Oh, really? I'd never heard the word, the title at all. Dude, it, on my street where I lived in Colorado, before I moved to Arizona, oh, yeah? there were it was the cool thing to have played all the Final Fantasies. Really? Where it said, oh, did you play Final Fantasy VII? Now, I hadn't played any of them, but yeah. people would talk about it all the time. Well, have you played Final Fantasy V? <laughs> did you play Final Fantasy VI? <laughs> never came out. And it's like, I don't know, but people were just talking about it. It was the thing to talk about. That's funny. Yeah. Because I had never, I'd literally never heard oh, that's crazy. of the game before. And all of a sudden, my brother opens up a gift. It's Final Fantasy VII. It's this freaking dope-looking dude on the cover with a massive sword and this crazy punk haircut. And I was like, that was way better than the game that I got. What is that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember what I got that year. You probably got Load Um, Runner. Actually, yeah, something like that. You know, something (laughs) stupid. But I put it in, and I'm like, okay. Like, the opening cutscene's blowing my fetching mind. It's just too good. And it's just they hop off the train. I'm like, oh my gosh, this music's sick. Yes. And then the guys run up to you and it's like, Pish! I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? And then it's, it's like, like you're, you're going on an he's acid trip. letting him shoot him in the face with yeah, the gun. Why? Like, I didn't get it. Took me a while to yeah. get it. And it was kind of similar with the tactical RPGs with Fire Emblem. Yeah. I, I had Landon actually was well read on this yeah. before we got this particular game. Um, Landon, my older brother, for people who don't know, he um, was way into this kind of stuff. He was into, he knew all about how the RPGs would work. He read yeah. all about the tactics stuff before we got the game. Yeah. Had I not had Landon, I would have had the similar experience with the RPGs and with mm-hmm. the tactical games. But I more or less knew what to expect, and I didn't only know what to expect, I had someone next to me saying, isn't this awesome, <laughs> right? <laughs> Because yep. he got it, and he yeah. read about it. And yeah. so I was conditioned to like this kind of stuff. <laughs> Whereas I, I feel like you were more on your own, yeah. trying to figure it all Dude, out Dude, I was works. so <laughs> fetching lost. I was so lost yeah. on, on Final Fantasy VII. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Anyways, <clears throat> I'm curious to see how many people picked up tactics expecting a, a traditional type of turn-based combat and got this. But yeah. let, let me know in the comments uh, what you guys' experiences were with it. I would assume so. Um, So one way in which they tried to tie this game into the mainline series, right? Where it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we want to take a Final Fantasy game, but just like adopt it to a tactical RPG. um, Was that they basically just lifted character growth straight out of Final Fantasy V. It's like almost the same Mm -hmm. as Final Fantasy V's uh, job system. but they also uh, didn't want it to feel like you're managing armies. Oh, right. Um, it was so like, it's a this is squad. a small yeah. party, just mm-hmm. like a Final Fantasy game. A party of like five to seven or eight people or something mm-hmm. like that, traveling around, doing things in this larger scale war that's going on. I really like it. It feels, yeah. it, it actually feels better in this game. You still get the, the awkwardness of, why do I only have to pick five people to fight this this battle that I might lose and that's yes. going to be hard? And I, everyone's here, but only five can go, right? Yeah. You still get that, but you feel a little more um, prepared. You feel you you choose before each battle. It's not like yeah. whatever three people you had in front of AC7, that's who you're fighting with. 
um, and everything's well planned for ahead of time, and it feels more like you're all traveling together, even though yeah. you still have to pick and choose who comes. Yeah, and the scenarios are kind of written in a way to where you're not like on the front lines in the army, you know, marching from battlefield exactly. to battlefield. Exactly. You're kind of, you know, in in these key sort of like positions to affect things, but um, in more of like a, what would you call it, like you're infiltrating somewhere or um, leading a small group to sort of like get ahead or yes. um, you know, you know uh, gain information or so you're more operating key position kind of under the under the, the radar. Army. Yeah, that's yeah, sort of thing. you're. Your so little I, SEAL Team 6 just yeah, kind of going around. I really like that about it. Yeah, another thing that kind of helps with the fact that not every character goes into the battle with you every time is that there are certain points in the game, as we'll get to later on, where you can go to the bar and you can talk to people and get little yeah. side quest things. Mm -hmm. And you literally, you send some of your people yeah. away to go do the other things yeah. that aren't that aren't part of the actual story. And you continue your story and then they'll come back yeah. Later on, mm -hmm. and then um, it's 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 cool. It's really cool, and they can go off and they'll find money and treasure and do other things while you're continuing the story. Yeah, I found that to be really cool. Yeah, I like awesome. that a lot. I like very good. Um, yeah, very good story mechanics to help to help the world feel bigger and to help your team to help it feel not so awkward when your whole team isn't going to every battle with you. It's like you, you could almost given that you could almost hypothetically make up general scenarios in your mind for why all the other characters are not. Participating in the battle as well. Oh sure. You know, especially yeah. I don't know. You can always be like, oh, they're off doing other things. They're fighting their own other battles. You know yeah. that we that we aren't seeing. Right. This game kind of gives you permission to assume that. Yeah. Um, so the interviewer said, um, when I hear the title "strategy RPG," what first comes to mind is images of war, big battles, etc. But this feels a little different. Like our our real time strategy or something. Yeah. And Matsuno yeah. says, yeah, I don't think it's a traditional war simulation. If I had to say. War games make me think of huge armies facing each other. That wasn't the direction we wanted to go in, though, because we wanted to make something similar to the feel of Final Fantasy, um, a game where you can clear with five individual main party members that you've raised and developed. Um, let's see. So just a couple other things that I put here um, uh, for inspirations behind the story of Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, Matsuno stated that the game's thematic use of class-based society was derived from his experiences within Square and other game production companies, observing their mm. hierarchy and how senior designers were treated as royalty. Yes. Um, it also says that the story premise of a long-suppressed account of, an ancient, uh, of ancient history was inspired by the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the story mm. of the name of the, uh, the name of the Rose. Ivalice is, it's not the world of this game. I think like a lot of country people, it's, it's like, yeah, the, the kingdom yeah. in a larger world. But uh, it was, um, it became somewhat of a, a blank canvas that has since then been used many times yeah. for other creators, even outside of Matsuno, to like make Final Fantasy games in. Um, he, he has a I'm all here. for that, by the way. Yeah. Because <laughs> I freaking love it. There weren't, up to that point, at, at all, any reoccurring worlds. It was like every Final Fantasy game was a standalone yeah, thing. Yeah, just a hold, yeah. And it was like, that we're done with that when we make an entirely new world, entirely new characters. Yeah. They weren't doing direct sequels or anything. But Ivalice has become one of those in years afterward um, that they've used many times. It's been used in 
Final Fantasy Twelve. There's been two other tactics spin-offs. Yeah. Tactics Advance and Advance Two. Vagrant Story. Uh, Vagrant Story. Yeah. And then also um, Final Fantasy Fourteen has some part of it. Yeah. Ivalice content in it too. So Matsuna it, says, "What were you gonna say?" It's a sweet world. I just wanted to point out that this technically takes place after Final Fantasy Twelve. Yes. Like like way in the future. Way later. From Final Fantasy Twelve. Final Fantasy I, I was confused about that at first. Yeah. And it doesn't feel that way. But Final Fantasy Twelve technically happened way before this. Yeah. Twelve takes place during what they call the golden era mm. of Ivalice. Where they and then the there was and, there yeah. was like some kind of um, like apocalyptic like event or something mm. like that. And this is a civilization that's come way after that. It's sort yeah. of like risen from the ashes of that one. So <clears throat> there's some 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 Xenogears like things sure. happening, yes. happening in this game. <laughs> so uh, like. quote from Matsuno here, Ivalice was the first game I made when coming to Square. So you could say that for me it was a canvas on which I could create my own thing. Today many mm. people have made their own creations within Ivalice. So you could say that now it functions as a canvas where anyone can create something. Um, and then while... How very democratic of him. <laughs> <laughs> while some aspects of the ending of this game are left ambiguous, and we'll talk about that later, obviously. Of course. Um, Matsuno considered the narrative to be complete on its own. So okay. it wasn't intended to be turned into a series or to have s direct sequels or anything mm. like that. This is the type of story which I think you'll appreciate. I like that. It I ends. always like that. It ends and it's done. Yes. Tell your story. <laughs> Tell your story. Don't don't tell yeah. the beginning of a story and see where how much money comes in to see where it goes. You tell your whole story, and that's that's the way it ought to be. Yeah. So a couple of quotes from uh, Sakimoto, the composer here, uh, as we close out the dev history section. This was interesting because he he did feel some pressure. Um, yeah. So he had worked on like a lot of stuff. Like like a, he was lending help on a lot of projects. He would do mm. like multiple games at once and just be mm. writing songs for this and this and this and this. And so he was gaining experience as a young composer at the time. Um, but he, his first time to really compose in like this sort of um, orchestral style for something epic like Which, this. It's kind of Hans Zimmer-like, almost. It's like Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean Hans Zimmer. Right, or that like Hollywood Gladiator. feel to yeah, it. Yeah, it feels big. It's a, got a very big sound to it. His first opportunity to do something like that was on Ogre Battle. So oh, he, right. he felt like a lot of appreciation towards Matsuno for giving him a chance. Mm. Um, and he, he started to get a little more renowned after Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre, and especially after Final Fantasy Tactics, where his career really took off. So, he, but he was feeling pressure to do a Final Fantasy game. He says, even though I had a lot of pressure creating the music, um, uh, even though I had a lot of pressure, comma, should be a comma there, Creating the music was a great pleasure for me. Yasumi Matsuno and Nobuo Uematsu advised me not to be obsessive about being within the Final Fantasy world. Mm. Then I was able to relax and create my music freely. Actually, Good. I used the Final Good. Fantasy theme in the score a little bit. So you can hear like Prelude and some okay, other things sure, like yeah. that, little takes on that. But for the most part, even Uematsu was like, don't bother trying to make it sound like me. That's good. <laughs> Just do your own thing with this. Yeah. And that's when you know, he really started to feel more comfortable. Hmm. Um, in regards to how he works with Iwata, the other composer I was saying, where they, they work a lot together. Yeah. Um, this was interesting. He says, many people have a misunderstanding about the way Iwata and I collaborate. 
we each compose our music alone. So they don't like oh, really? work together or like give feedback. M maybe they give feedback, but hmm. it's not like they're working on similar tracks. It's like you go do your tracks, I'm gonna go over here and do mine, <laughs> and then we'll like bring them together kind of a thing, wow. right? Which is interesting because they sound yet so they sound similar, right? Yes, it's yeah. like it's hard to pick out Iwata from Sakimoto. Yeah. If you really delve into it and you listen to their tracks, there are certain indicators okay. of each style. I was doing this this well, week. I'm sure you were. <laughs> I was like, okay, what, let me see like how they're different. But they are really similar in the yeah. in their style of composing, and so the soundtrack mm. sounds very united despite this approach, which I found really interesting. It says, actually, uh, we work together but composed most of the music individually. In some cases, we have meetings for some projects, though we know each other uh, not to argue so much. I think that might be mm. kind of clumsily translated. He just means we're, They've we're, been doing this we're for a familiar long enough with each other yeah. that we don't argue about, about it. It's like yeah. we're, we, we, we work well together. Nice. Um, I feel safe with him, but we still have uh, good stimulation for creating fantastic sounds. <clears throat> Last one here says, Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen was my first orchestral work. Because I've only experienced making techno and progressive music, everything was new and every moment was um, a succession of discoveries. I really appreciated Yasumi Matsuno giving me the chance as it was one of the big turning points of my life. I think many people misunderstand me and think that I am uh, based on classical music or maybe that he's been trained in classical music. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, Actually, Ogre Battle was my very first step in that field. I've got a lot to learn. Um, mm -hmm. So there was actually a lot of composers who were not classically trained. Nobuo Uematsu was not. Right. Um, there were a lot of them were self-taught. Worked more in rock or techno or pop type mm -hmm. music and then sort of stepped into this. Um, although, um, Yoko Shimomura yeah. is like one of the few who is super classically trained. Oh really? I didn't know that about Like, her. yeah. Mm. And I think it really shows because um, well, she did like Street Fighter and stuff. Right? Yeah, she did. Uh, <laughs> earlier so she in had her the career. opposite thing, which right. was like, I'm classically trained and you got me writing Street Fighter. <laughs> exactly. Street Fighter 2. Right? But yeah, yeah so she's one of the few from you know, this group of composers that was actually classically trained. Interesting, interesting. Anyways, any, any notes that you, that you took on the development history of things? On the development history, mm -hmm. no, we've touched on basically everything. So. Yeah. So yeah, um, that's basically how it came together. The key players who developed it, some of their thoughts behind how they created the game. Um, a few notes before we jump into, because the last thing I want to do in this episode is touch on Ivelisse's background, because there's a lot of things on the periphery of the story that if you know it going into it, it's like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. It's a little easier to follow mm. the story, because um, there's a lot of lands and names of people and wars that happened oh, yeah. beforehand oh, and yeah. noble houses and key figures, political or yeah. otherwise religious, um, where it's like they're just throwing terms around and it's like, it's yeah. hard. They, they do a pretty good job of giving you the key information so that you can follow it. But I think a more thorough look at what happened in the 50-year war oh, sure. and things like that yeah. will ground you a little more so you can follow it better. Um, so before we jump into that though, I just want to say that um, if any, like I said, if anybody wants to follow along with us and play this game and you're not super familiar with tactical RPGs, this game is not as approachable as Matsuno was hoping. Um, yes. It can be very difficult, yeah. not even just very <clears throat> difficult, but 
you can legitimately uh, lock yourself into oh, battles you can't win. Yes. That's good advice, by the way, what you said in that video that you put out. Yes. Um, I, there have been several games I've played where that has happened to me. Yes. Where you save and you're stuck. Yes. And you're screwed. Yes. <laughs> there's nothing you can do. There's, not, there's literally nothing you do. It's yeah. statistically impossible yeah. to win this battle. Mm. And you cannot leave. You cannot go back. You cannot change your equipment. You cannot grind. You cannot do anything. Yeah. This game has an infamous example of that, but there are other ways in which you can screw yourself yeah, over and not be able to progress. So what, two or three alternating between Yeah, you need save backup slots. you need backup saves. Yeah. You need backup saves. And I give some other advice in that video that helps you get started. Like one thing that um, I tried to do even on this playthrough. And mm -hmm. it wasn't even like, you know, I was doing it for any other other reason, just to kind of test out things, right? Uh, somebody in the, the stream was suggesting, hey, um, in the first battle in Garland, the, the, near the academy, um, if you trap the chemist enemy, he has unlimited potions that he'll throw on himself, right? He doesn't have like a limit. So mm. you can just attack him and gain JP and he'll just keep healing himself. Okay. And you can level grind like that, right? Oh, nice. So it's like you can gain a lot of JP really early on and get some good abilities. The problem is that I don't like keeping the group of allies they uh, give you right there because they're yeah. not necessarily in Zodiac compatibility with Ramza. Yeah. So um, what happened is I did that for about 30 minutes or something like that, and Ramza got up to like level 7. Nice. And then I recruited a bunch of level 1 characters. And they were all level 1, yeah. And so the enemies, the monsters, were a, le a level 7. Level 7. And Ramza yeah. was the only guy who had any chance of fighting them and the rest of them could not do enough damage to take them out. Say a chocobo yeah. who can heal and has all these abilities and, mm. it, and it, it can really do good damage to you at, at a low level. So there's a lot of ways that mm. you can just, even just in, hey, I'm gonna... The game tries to discourage level grinding. So right. maybe just follow that and don't level grind, right? <laughs> but, do what they tell you. But without doing at least some JP farming a little bit early on mm. to get some really good abilities for the start. Like Dorder Trade City is like a yeah. really hard battle <laughs> for like new players. Mm. Um, and so there's a, it's tough. So I made that video that you can go watch um, so that you can get some tips on how to get started. Um, make sure also to look at my uh, pinned comment because there's a couple additional things that have been good suggestions from the audience that I've uh, written in addendum to that video. But if you want to play along with this, go check out that video. But the reason that I love this game so much is not necessarily because of its gameplay. I, I think yeah, yeah. I like it fine. Oh, sure, sure. And the more I play it, the more I get into it. It always feels like when I start a, a run of Final Fantasy Tactics, I'm like, okay... Here we go, fetch, like, oh, let me just remember so how to do this. pre-preparation <laughs> stuff that you have to do before you do anything. Right. But then once mm. I'm actually in the game and I've got, like, four or five battles under my belt, I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm liking this again. Right. This is, this is sweet. I, I love you, playing this game. You beast through it. And yeah. I start really, like, enjoying the playthrough. So, um, but the real reason that I love this game is the storytelling, which I think is... Um, just masterful. Mm. Uh, I think the two things that I really love the most about Yasumi Matsuno as a storyteller is one, 
he has like a truly masterful sense of brevity. Um, he never overstays his welcome in a scene. The scene oh, that's for sure. is sharp. That's for sure. It's yep. to the point. It feels tightly edited. Yeah. And it's just like it moves really, really well. Mm-hmm. In, this is in sharp contrast to the trends of most JRPGs in the modern era, which to me are super bogged down by excessive dialogue mm-hmm. and just unnecessary scenes yeah. and just it just drags it on and on yep. and on and on. Um, I feel this way about uh, Trails, trails oh, in the Sky and Trails of Cold Steel. Mm. I feel this way about Persona games. Mm. I feel this way For about sure, a lot sure. of games that are popular. I'm not saying they're bad games. They're very good games, obviously. Mm. But for my tastes, I struggle to hang in there with them because they just move so unbearably slowly to me. And this is literally the exact opposite. It just absolutely tears <laughs> through mm. scenes at a pace that is so exciting and like continually leaves you mysteries to continue pursuing. And it's like it's dragging you through it rather yeah. than you pushing against yes, it yes, yes, yes. to get through. <laughs> That's, nice. That's um, nice. Vagrant Story is very much this way too, and it's yeah. why I love that game's story so much. That's true, though, because in, in Tactics, the cutscenes are short. Really short. There's not that many of them. Well, I mean, there's a, I, I shouldn't say that. There are a lot of them, but the story, generally speaking, and for like time-wise, yeah. it's not that time-consuming to get through all of the story. No. It's the battles and the preparation that takes That's most of your time. That's the long part. Yeah. yeah, so there are a lot of cutscenes, but they're short, and um, they're, they're very pointed. Yes, and um, I was, this reminds me, because when uh, the demo for Triangle Strategy came out, mm-hmm. and I was playing that, obviously some of the direct comparisons to the style of tactical RPG that is, yes. is with something like Final Fantasy Tactics or yes. Tactics Ogre. There's a lot of similarities yeah. with Yasumi Matsuno's tactical games. E- except... That was a difference. The story they has am- a lot of excessive dialogue and exposition. Yep. Like, a lot more. Yeah. And so, at, there was one time where I had, I had a whole document. I was going to do a whole video. I ended up doing a video on Triangle Strategy, mm-hmm. my impressions of the demo. But I oh, took yeah. out the section that I, where I was going to really get into the weeds about talking mm-hmm. about um, the differences in pacing between Triangle Strategy's cutscenes and Yasumi Matsuno's cutscenes. Right. I make brief mention of it and just throw it out there. But I actually went through each cutscene in both games and took an average of how long the cutscenes are. Oh, yeah. And it was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable like, how sharp and fast yeah. tactics cutscenes are. Yeah. And you don't feel like you're, you're I mean, you feel like you're missing stuff because there's, there's a lot happening. Yeah. But per each scene, you, you get the emotion, you understand the character's motivations more or less, you, um, you, you get the story. It's, it's very, um, what you call it, the essence of it. It's very boiled down. And yeah. you take that, and it's all you need to know to go to the next point. Yeah. Right? That Clearly, that much thought wasn't given to Triangle Strategy or that much editing, whittling down, right? Trimming of fat yeah. wasn't given. But at the same time, Triangle Strategy has a little bit more of the 
philosophical angle to it, especially when you're convincing people of what yeah, yeah, to I do or like to not that do. A lot. And this game so far doesn't have very much of the sure. philo battling philosophies, which is where you can get very verbose and very. It will become more down. like that. Okay. In the story later on, or in the early chapters, uh, not as much, because at this point it's just kind of showing. Well, we're not at that point yet in the story, <laughs> so I'll hold off for spoilers. I got you. Scene. I got you. But yeah, it'll become. More battle of philosophy, battle yeah. of um, ideologies. That's actually kind of the. I'm going to avoid saying this because I just don't want to spoil okay. it for anybody who hasn't played it yet. Fair enough. But we'll get into that later. Cool, cool. But you're right. And uh, triangle strategy, uh, I, I basically broke down the structure. It was like most of the cutscenes leading up to a battle and tactics are like one or two minutes long at the max. It's yeah. like they spend there one may or be two several, but they're short. Talking. Yeah. And then it's like, get you into a battle. Yep, yep, the yep. battles on average are about 15 to 20 minutes in length. Sure. And then you have a roughly three to five minute cutscene on the back of that, and then you're in the next fight. Right. So it's just like, move, move, move. It's like in two or three hours, you're getting through something like 10 battles. Mm. In triangle strategy, same amount of time you've done one two. or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. And, and yes. It's, it's, a, it's a massive difference in pacing. Yeah, yeah. Massive difference in pacing. So I love that about Final Fantasy Tactics. And, I, and the story is just really, really good. So let's break it down, shall we? That's the point sure of this thing. podcast. Uh, let's get into Ivelisse's background a little bit. So the current conflict that happens during the course of Final Fantasy Tactics story is called the War of the Lions or the Lion War right. between Dukes, Goltana, and Lard. The who are black lion and the white the lion. white lion yeah. who are fighting each other to determine who is going to be the the regent regent yeah not the king until the prince comes of age which is so which is so <laughs> but that's what happens though anytime yes. you have a young leader the powers that be underneath yes. will vie for power because the young leader can't do it it's like and the advisors have all the power at that point for a decade and a half you're going to be in charge of the yes. country right yeah. You're going to make all the decisions. All of them. Um, so that's and the then, uh, but if you do if you do well, then even when that king grows up to become 20, he, 25, you, you they will defer to you. Influenced how yes. they think. And even if they like, it's like, hey, king, you just sit down. I'll take care of this like we did yes. your whole life up until now. You have right. a seat. I'll take care of this problem. Then it's like yes. you can maintain that power right. even after the king technically takes it from you. Right. Anyone who has watched Game of Thrones knows <laughs> this is precisely yeah. centered, or, uh, the, the story is precisely centered around this concept. Yeah. It's like, this person is the king, but all of us who are his advisors are the ones making decisions and running the country, right. and more or less telling him what to do. And yeah. so that's kind of what's going on with this. Now, that's the, the conflict that goes on in the game. Before this conflict, there was another war called the 50 Years War. Right. Um, and it's between the surrounding, what, what's, yes. what are they called? There's a kingdom? Okay, yeah, so. I can't remember the names. The, the, the War of the Lions is a civil war in Ivalice. Yeah. The, the 50 Years War was a war between Ivalice and the bordering kingdom of Ordalia. Ordalia, that's yeah. it, yeah. Uh, Rom Romanda, I think, is the other kingdom that the got North involved one. for a little while. Yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll read all of that here in a second. But, um, but the Fifty Years' War, the, I guess I, probably the only thing important to understand as far as I get the story at the moment is that it left Ivelisse not 
yes. well suited for the future. Yes. So that war expended so many resources, so much time, so many people that Ivalice is kind of having trouble picking up the pieces after waging a campaign that was that long. That's exactly right. That deadly. This is a good idea is to do maybe a TLDR version of the 50 Years War. <laughs> yeah. Which is that the king of uh, Ordalia mm-hmm. died without naming a successor. Right. When this happens, it always causes a war. So the, that king's cousin decided, I'm the successor mm-hmm. to the throne because he didn't name one. But the king of Ivalice, who was the uncle of the dead king over here. Right. Similar to Europe, they're all yeah. related, right? The kings are all related. Yes. All the nobility in different countries are related. Yeah. And they do that on purpose so that they yes. have allies in other it's kingdoms. An alliance. And so that when yeah. war comes, they can fight each other, right? The, the king of Ivalice declares war on, on Ordalia because he's claiming mm-hmm. rights to that throne instead of right. the cousin. So, but all of that was really more or less just a front um, for Ivalice to sort of come in and liberate a, a, yes, <laughs> um, a yeah. province or, it used to have autonomy. Oh, yeah. the, the name of this uh, land is, sorry, there's two names that are very similar, so I want to get it right, Zelmonia. Okay. Zelmonia had been annexed about 100 years before this by Ordalia. Hmm. And so they were like, help us, Ivalice, to mm. get rid of Ordalia. And they were doing it in these underhanded ways. But now it's like, please, we want you to get directly involved. So he's like, fine, I'll declare war on them and claim the throne so that I can justify coming in and yeah. like <laughs> kicking you out of Zelmonia. But then, of sure. course, it goes beyond that. Oh, always, of course. And they keep... Tra- Anyways, b- uh, they are at a stalemate for a long time. That's why it's called the 50 Years' War. And in the end, they agree mutually between the two sides that fighting is a bad idea anymore. Uh, We have peasant uprisings and all kinds of internal strife. We need to start focusing inward and stop fighting each other. Right, and both countries agree. So we agree we will have peace now. But what this really was, because Ordalia had more of an upper hand at this point, Mm -hmm. was a surrender of Ivalice, and they had to pay reparations to Ordalia for the war. Ah, so that that economically hurt them. This is the reason why they couldn't pay all their peasant soldiers when they came back to Ivalice and left the kingdom economically in ruin. Well, that's when the rebellion kind of shows up. Yes, and because Mm. of that, those peasants who were disenfranchised by not being compensated for what they did, mm-hmm. they form the Corpse Brigade and they start a rebellion in Ivalice. That is the important thing to remember about the Fifty Years' War, right? I am, however, because I find it fascinating, <laughs> going to read the, um, the rumor. You go into the tavern, you, you can have mm-hmm. the, the barkeep sort of tell you the rumor yeah, of what yeah. happened in the Fifty Years' War. Um, because there's a couple points I want to make on this, but I just... I just really, I like, I just really find this stuff fascinating. This is my genre. I love this yeah. stuff. It's just, I eat this stuff up. And I particularly love the language of the War of the Lions version, which is written more in that early modern English mode, that King James-like, mm. um, Shakespearean-like language. A lot of other people don't like that. I have a whole section going over the differences in the script in the next episode, so I'm not oh, getting okay. into it today. But I just love reading it. So, 50 Years of War. 
The half century of conflict between Ivelisse and Ordalia is today known as the Fifty Years' War. The beginning of the Fifty Years' War can be traced to the death of Ordalia's king, King Devon III, and his failure to name a successor. His cousin, Veroy VI, was next in line to the throne. However, King Denamda II of Ivelisse, the uncle of Devon III, proclaimed himself the rightful heir and declared war on Ordalia. Here's one point I want to make. This is coming from someone who has written uh, an epic fantasy novel, and it's the genre is filled with names and places and uh, lots and lots and lots of things to remember. Mm-hmm. It's easier on the reader and of good practice to not name people similar things <laughs> so that you can distinguish between them. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So it can be a little hard to follow that you have King Devon and King Denamda. Denam, yeah, they both, they, have, they both start with a D-E yeah. and they, they sound a little similar and you can start to feel confused, right? Just as a, as, as a thing, if anyone's out there writing stories, try your best right. not to name two kings nearly the same name. <laughs> <laughs> so that people can, especially when you have King Denamda the second, who yeah. is followed by King Denamda the fourth. I know when then, you <laughs> put the numbers on. Yeah. It, technically, that is historically yes, accurate that is how, how it things worked. work. But that's really confusing. It can be hard to follow. Yeah. So, and you know, a lot of the reason why this happens too is because a lot of because um, Tolkien paved the way. Tolkien paved yes. the way for how fantasy the fantasy genre developed yep. in the modern time. And he was a linguist. Mm-hmm. And so when he was creating place names and names of kings and things like that, he was using linguistic traditions to do right. so. Which means that when they were naming places, they were naming it in their language. You know, you come across the tallest peak in a mountain range. Tallest peak or Grand Lake or things sure. like this. This is yes. how people named things, but they named yes. it in their old English language or whatever. Right. And those sort of became anglicized over generations or the language changed and they changed pronunciations and things mm-hmm. like that. But this is why you get names with, like place names with similar naming, um, what's the word for it? Conventions, naming conventions. conventions. Yeah. Um, Ports, right. you know, a lot of uh, cities that are ports will have port on the end of the city yep. name. It's Davenport or whatever, or yes. uh, the mouth of a river where the tributary feeds into the ocean. It'd be Plymouth because mm. it's mouth, right? Oh, mouth, um, sure. So, they'll use, so you'll see that if you go like, if you just were to Google, uh, bring up Google England on Google Maps and just look at that. It's like a lot of the names have similar suffixes or prefixes, mm-hmm. right? And that's because that's how those things were named in ancient times. Sure. So a lot of people will do things like that when they're naming their kings and their lands. And the, so it's, that's how you get Zelmonia and Zeltania being like literally neighboring provinces. Yeah. And, but it's hard to remember that stuff. Yeah. It's just hard to keep it all in mind. So it's something to think about as you're writing your, and, and doing your world building, right? So Denamda II is the king of Ivelisse. Devan III was the king of Ordalia who died and didn't name a successor. Okay. Veroy the sixth was the cousin who wanted, who was next in line for Ordalia's throne. However, this was merely a pretense to justify the invasion of the neighboring Ordalian province of Zelmonia. Once an independent state, it had been annexed by Ordalia nearly a century prior. 
this actually is very mm -hmm. similar to Dalmasca's uh, oh, political situation in sure. Final Fantasy XII, yeah. um, where Dalmasca was right. invaded and taken over. Yeah, right. that's it. That's true. Um, so yeah, dude, twelve is so good. It's a good game. So yeah, yeah, so the Arcadian Empire invades Dalmasca, which is an independent state in between Rosaria and Arcadia. Rosaria and Arcadia. Rosaria yeah. and Arcadia are at war with each other. Damascus kind of caught in the middle. Yeah, it's sort of sort of a similar situation here, where Zelmonia was the independent state in the middle. Ivalice was in the west, right. and Ordalia was in the east, and so um, Ordalia annexed Zelmonia, and Zelmonia has been asking Ivalice to help them yeah. become independent again, and so this is uh, Denamda's move to do that, mm. to help Zelmonia be rid of Ordalia's uh, rule. So that's what that's saying. Um, the, an effort that ultimately failed, because Ivalice has set, had since been aiding the province in an effort to weaken Ordalia, an effort that ultimately failed. Tired of Ordalian rule, the Zelmanian leadership and nobility secretly petitioned Ivalice to take a more direct hand in their liberation. After a victory in Zelmonia, the Ivalician armies marched on to the Ordalian capital. As fate would have it, Denamda II succumbed to fatal illness on the road. So the king of Ivalice mm. died as they were marching on the capital oh, really? of uh, Ordalia. That is a bad omen. Died of a fatal illness, happened a lot. The momentary confusion amongst Ivalice's troops gave Ordalia the opportunity it needed to regroup and Verai VI, uh, Veroy, it's hard to pronounce, Veroy VI, succeeded in pushing the Ivalicians back as far as Zelmonia. The resulting impasse would not be broken until the Romandan army invasion two years hence. So eventually Ordalia petitioned Romanda, which is another country over here kind of on the northwestern coast. There's like a strait mm -hmm. going between Ivalice and uh, Romanda. Um, they decided to get involved on behalf of Ordalia because their ruler was uh, mm. A relative of Veroy. Veroy. Right. Um, Romanda, a powerful military state lying across the Rana Strait, marched on Ivalice at the behest of Veroy VI, a blood relation to the Romandan nobility. However, Denamda II's successor, Denamda IV, was a fearless warrior, personally leading his men into battle against the combined might of Romanda and Ordalia. So, Denamda IV, the successor to Denamda II, this was the king that people like um, Ramza's father mm. were serving when they were fighting oh, in the okay. war, right? It was like Denamda IV was leading mm. um, Balbaneth Beolv and Sid, who is a character we'll meet much later, who led the Southern Order of the Knights. Mm. Um, Ramza's father led the, the Northern Order of the Knights. It's confusing because in the original PlayStation version, they're called Hakoten, which is a very Japanese-sounding word. No, I can tell you. It's terrible. Ha, um, Hokuten. So Hokuten, it's so funny because you got all these German names, all these old English, these yes. weird, and then it's the Knights of Hokuten. Yes, it's, it's like, so dumb. Did they, did they forget to translate that or like what? It means northern sky or northern yeah, heaven. Exactly. So the heaven of the north is Hokuten. Yeah. So Hoku north and ten. They, they literally or just sky. didn't translate it. They just didn't translate it. But the, 
and it makes more sense when it is because that's how an, uh, it's a it's a convincing There's a northern realm yeah a, 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 a right. convincing naming convention for the knights orders in Ivalice. So sure. the northern knights are called the knights of the northern sky. The knights of the southern uh, province are called the knights of the southern sky. And these were the two go. knight orders, knightly orders that were fighting in this 50-year war and uh, Ramza's father led the northern knights. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so it says uh, Danamda IV was personally leading his men against the combined might of Romanda and Ordalia. This, along with an outbreak of the Black Death in Romanda, forced the Romandan army to withdraw after only three years. Two military orders worthy of particular mention in this conflict are the Order of the Northern Sky, led by Knight Gallant um, Barbaneth Beolv, Ramses' father, and that of the Southern Sky, led by Sidolphus Orlandu. And he's a beastly Sid. character. We'll learn about him a lot later in the game. Hmm. Known as the Thunder God. After countless victories at home, these two orders had been poised to advance into Ordalia. However, the protracted conflict had begun to take its toll on domestic morale. Peasant uprisings and revolts throughout Ivalice and Ordalia forced both countries to send their troops home to pacify their own citizens, resulting in another stalemate. It was Denamda IV's sudden death by malady that broke the stalemate, although some claim he was murdered. His successor, Andoria III, who is the current king of Ivalice at the time Andoria. of Final Fantasy Tactics story when Ramza is at the Academy. <laughs> yes, early on, yeah. <laughs> Andoria III is the king. Mm -hmm. Was ill-suited to the throne and left the governing of Ivalice to his queen and retainers. Without Denamda IV's leadership, the armies of Ivalice had little prayer of preventing Veroy VI's successor. <laughs> so we're on to... Veroy's successor now who's leading. Veroy's dead. Years is a Denamda long time. is dead. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Denamda the Fourth, and we have the successor to Veroy. Without Denamda the Fourth's leadership, the armies of Ivalice had little prayer in preventing Veroy the sixth successor, Prince Lenard, from defeating the troops stationed in Zelmonia and advancing into Ivalice proper. Despite the valiant efforts of the northern and southern orders, Ivalice failed to repel Prince Lenard's invasion of Zeltenit. Zeltenia. So Zeltenia mm. is the, the far eastern province of Ivalice, which mm. borders Zelmonia, the independent nation. Of course. <laughs> so they pushed, or Ordalia pushed mm. through Zelmonia, took it back, and then pushed and actually succeeded in taking Zeltenia, As well. which is the eastern Ivalice province. Um, Ivalice's leaders soon began looking for a peaceful alternative. In the end, both states agreed that prolonging the war would prove mutually detrimental, and a pact was signed allowing each nation to return to addressing domestic strife. An equal peace in name, it was in reality a defeat for Ivalice. The economy of Ivalice was brought to the very brink of ruin as it struggled to pay reparations to its former enemies and to repay the loans taken from neighboring states to fund its war effort. Soldiers returning from the front found themselves without pay and entire orders of knights were summarily discharged from service. The swelling ranks of the unemployed did little to relieve the people's distrust of the crown and nobility. So this leads us into the political landscape and situation in Ivalice starting when the game begins. Yeah. In, most notably, 
the, the formation of the Corpse Brigade, or the Death Corps in the PS1 version. Um, so here's what he says about that. Brigandry is on the rise across the land, and Galleon has uh, by no means been spared. Galleon is the far western province of Ivalice. So uh, Zeltenia is the far eastern one, Galleon is the far western one. Um, Wains are struck and pillaged, high-ranking officials taken at sword point. Most of the incidents of this past six months are believed to be the work of a company of felons and former sellswords known as the Corpse Brigade. It is oft said the only good brigand is a dead brigand, and the Order of the Northern Sky would like not more than to see the brigand or the brigade made corpses for true. But as yet, it is all the knighthood can do to keep the outlaws in check. So there is an uprising, a rebellion happening. Yeah. The Corpse Brigade are a bunch of disenfranchised knights and, and um, sellswords That's who didn't get paid. Very dangerous. And they're pissed. It's very dangerous. <laughs> they just want yeah. to be given their due and to be um, not summarily discharged, to be given the honor that are, they are owed for the, the fighting that they did in the Fifty Years' War. Yeah. Okay, so the current king is Andoria the Third, right? We, this is the successor of Dinamda the Fourth, who was presumably died of a malady, but might have also been murdered. The king that Ramses' father served, right now, Andoria the Third is on the throne. The health of King Andoria the Third has been a subject of common or a subject a subject of concern since his collapse at the birthday celebration of Prince Orinus. So Orinus is or Andoria's son the one or two year old who, when Andoria dies, can't lead. Yeah, is right? too young. So Andoria is already sick. Prince Orinus is very little, a toddler at this time. The board of chamberlains has since announced that the king has regained consciousness and his fever has broken, but will yet require several weeks of quietude and bed rest in order to recover. Many speculate that it may be some months before the king resumes his official duties. However, Queen Queen Loveria and her retainers have long been in charge of most affairs of state, and thus few problems are anticipated during the king's absence. Now, this is where the Civil War starts. Now, remember, the Corpse Brigade is a band of common rebels, yeah. peasants, and you know, former knights and uh, mercenaries, things mm -hmm. like that. The Civil War is not started by those guys. Right. The Civil War is started by the nobles. <laughs> yes. Because, actually, I think in the, as far as the story goes, they kind of take care of the Corpse Brigade for the most part, and then the Civil War happens. But the War of the Lions is fought because King um, uh, Andoria dies, and his son is too young to rule. So yeah. they're trying to determine who is going to be the caretaker and regent in the place of Andori until his son comes of age. The queen, obviously, still lives, and she's been running things for the most part anyways because Andori has been too sick, and it mm. says he's ill-suited to be a leader anyways. So she chooses her older brother, Duke Larg, to be the regent. She's the one that... Um, submits for him to do that, which would more or less put Larg and the Queen in charge of things. Many of the other nobles do not like her. <clears throat> they find her an oppressive queen, right? And so they, the, the, the board of chamberlains sort of sidestep her and they're like, nope, you don't get to name Larg, the retainer, 
we're putting Duke Goltana in that role instead. And this is what the War of the Lions is fought over, whether Goltana mm -hmm. or Larg will be the retainer to Prince Orinus because they don't want the queen to be in charge anymore. She's yeah. too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what it says uh, about the War of the Lions. The War of the Lions is fought between the Order of the Northern Sky Knights of Duke Larg under the banner of the White Lion and the Order of the Southern Sky Knights of Duke Goltana under the banner of the Black Lion. King Andoria III died due to the Black Death and his heir Prince Orinus is just two years old. A regent is sought to rule the prince in the prince's place and both dukes who were decorated generals in the Fifty Years War were nominated to be uh, nominated to be regent. So that kind of sucks. It's like these two guys were like faithful generals who fought in this Fifty Years War and now they're gonna fight each other. <laughs> right on the back of that, right? Of one, course, of course. One of the main reasons behind the war is the rift between Queen Loveria and the nobles of Ivalice. Queen Loveria is regarded as a power-mad queen who desires her offspring on the throne so that she may rule the kingdom. The Council of Nobles, out to stop her from asserting influence onto the kingdom, appoints Duke Goltana as their preferred candidate for the regency. So that is the background of the world that you need to know going into this, I feel, in order to really understand yeah. the significance of what's going on around the characters. What you just read, was that from Al, Al's, um, the historian guy, um, Al-Zalam? No, no. Uh, it was either the barkeep Oh, okay, that's tavern, right, that was the rumor thing. Okay. And then one of them was just from the um, wiki page okay, uh, for Final Fantasy Tactics. But Cool. But we're going to talk about him. We will. At the very beginning of the next episode. That's for next episode. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I'm freaking pumped. I love this game. This game's going to be sweet. I'm excited. It's, it's, it's just awesome. <laughs> um, and we're going to really, really get into the story next time. So uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for those of you who support the channel on Patreon and make it possible for us to do this. Um, we'll see you next week. Peace out.